0: Please stand with us and celebrate Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's great to be able to gather here with you tonight as we celebrate this Advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here with us. And the Advent of Jesus is such a, a monumental event in the history of the world, right, that it kind of requires different responses, right? They're, they're to call for celebration, they're to call for worship. There's a time for reflection and remembrance. And so we want this service to be about all those things. Celebrating and worshiping and also reflecting what Jesus has done for us and remembering all that he's done. So one of the ways that the church has historically done that is through the lighting of Advent candles since we kind of mark the time, mark the passage until the coming of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite the Coach family forward to lead us in the lighting of our final Advent candle.
2: came flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus spoke again to, to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not never walk in darkness, but will have the light of the world, or
0: the light of life. His verses remind us that Christ came to earth to be the light of the world as we look at these candles we remember that through Jesus we will never walk in darkness because as children of God we have the light of life
2: let's pray father
1: thank you for sending your beloved son to be the light of the world to provide a way for us to become your children as we continue to celebrate Christmas tonight and tomorrow Help us to rejoice that we do not walk in darkness because we follow Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.
0: walking in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And from Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The shepherds sat in darkness, and angels came to them in glorious light. They announced the birth of a baby who would change lives forever. And what was the shepherds' response? They went to worship. We, like the shepherds, sit in darkness, in difficulties, and in hardships. But God's light breaks into our gloom with good news of a savior born for us. The darkest of ages are done. And what is our response? Worship. Please stand with us as we start, as we worship.
1: Jesus to be born to die on our behalf, that even though we didn't deserve it, even though we are not worthy of anything you've done for us, that you sent your son to die in our place, to live a life we could not live. So that our broken relationship with you could be fixed, could be made right, we could look forward to eternity in heaven the new heavens and the new earth with you. Father, as we come together tonight, as we worship you, as we praise you, we you know there are some here who the Christmas season brings up pain, brings up suffering, brings up hurt, we pray tonight that you would be with them, that your presence would feel real, that they would feel comfort in this place knowing that you are with them in the midst of trial, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain. That Christmas is the proof that you do not leave us in our pain and suffering, that you come to us in the midst of our hurt. Lord, we celebrate all that you've done for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Right, so as some of you know, right, my wife, Vanessa, and I are expecting our, our fourth child in a couple of weeks here, right, and we're, we're, of course, excited for that, right, but excited as we are, like, I've been thinking recently about how like, my, anticip- my anticipation of this coming baby right, is a little bit different than the anticipation I felt before our first child was born. like. Not necessarily better or worse, but just different. Because like this baby will kinda change our lives. Like there'll be changes. But like going from three kids to four kids is not nearly as dramatic as going from zero kids to one kid. Like like going from zero kids to one kid, like fundamentally changed a part of my identity. I went from not a father to a father in an instant. And like before our oldest child was born, like I didn't really know for sure how I would react to becoming a father. Like I didn't know for sure what to expect. Like I had been waiting and anticipating becoming a father for a long time. And I had like high hopes, high expectations of what I thought it would be like. But in the back of my mind, like there's always this like nagging doubt. Like, like maybe it wouldn't be as great as... I thought, as great right as I expected, like maybe I'd just find parenthood like burdensome, like maybe it would just be a pain. Maybe I'd find like crying and interrupted sleep to be more than I could take. Like maybe I'd reached the end of all this waiting to become a father, only to find that I was disappointed. Like before our first child was born, I could have gone either way. Being a father could have lived up to all the anticipation and expectation I had built up in my head. Or all my high expectations, my high hopes, could have merely set me up for disappointment. Or that the experience of fatherhood fell short of what I was expecting. That can happen a lot in life as we anticipate and expect things. think that we have high hopes for, high expectations of oftentimes those high hopes only set us up for disappointment when the thing we expected and anticipated wasn't as great as we had hoped. But every once in a while, we can have this incredible experience where even though we have high, high, high hopes for something, the thing we've been waiting for turned out to be even better than we ever expected it to be. And thankfully, that's what happened for me with parenthood. Like, as much as I thought I would enjoy being a dad, right, The moment I our first child was born, like I knew my hopes and my expectations were too small. Like, I, I felt in that moment that parenthood would be a far greater expectation than anything I could have imagined. And the birth of Jesus does something. For the people of the Old, that's a similar thing for the people of the Old Testament and for us, but on a far grander scale. As like we've walked through this Advent season as a church, we've been walking through this series that I've called Waiting. And we've called it Waiting because like, one of the things we remember in Advent is how the people of the Old Testament, God's people, were waiting and waiting for God to send His Messiah. But as you've been waiting for something for so long, there's always this risk that like, when the thing finally comes, it won't live up to the hype. And so like, as we kind of remember now, this coming of this long-promised Messiah, the question God people faced in the Old Testament, like, now that he's finally here, will he live up to the hype? Will he be worth it? Was the wait worth waiting for? Is this Messiah enough? And we see the answer to that question right from the very beginning of Jesus' story, right? right from the story of his birth. What we see is that this Savior, like this Messiah, is even greater than anything God people expected. Or the common expectation for the Messiah in those days, is that that the Messiah would be one who would come from the line of David, from David's family, and he would be a a military conqueror. And that he would lead the people of Israel back to independence from foreign powers. He'd kick out the Romans and lead them back to independence, and he would reign as a king over Israel. And he would reestablish David's family as the king that would rule over Israel forever. One of the promises that God made in the Old Testament about this Messiah, that David's kingdom and his throne would reign forever through this Messiah. And so they expected that this, this coming Messiah would be the one who would reestablish David's kingdom, would reestablish David's throne. And so the expectation in the Old Testament was that the Messiah would be one who would, like King David, only greater which is already a pretty huge expectation. To be like King David, but greater, is a monumental task. What we see in Matthew 1, verses 18-25, through is that this Messiah who comes, this Jesus, He greatly, greatly, greatly exceeds any of those expectations. So here's what I want to do, just very briefly, this evening. I want to read... Matthew 1, verses 18-25 with you. Then I want to to a quick look at four indications, four signs in the birth story that show us that this Jesus is going to be a greater Messiah than anyone expected. That's my hope. Let's read these. You can follow along on the screen. they will be up there. Starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Right? So right off the bat, Matthew tells us, like this Jesus is the Messiah. Right? He's not trying to write some novel with some big twist ending where you find out at the end that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, he tells us, right off the bat, this Jesus is the Messiah. Right? This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph was her husband, But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, the first sign in this passage that we see that this Messiah, this Jesus, will be an even greater Messiah than anyone expected is that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, we read His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, an angel shows up to Joseph and tells him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And there's so much that we could say about this miraculous conception, this Holy Spirit conception. But I just want to focus on one piece briefly right here, and that's this. This Holy Spirit conception highlights the fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Now by itself, the virgin birth doesn't prove that. Like We need the rest of his life to fully prove that Jesus really is fully God. But from the very beginning, from chapter 1, verse 20, we get this indication That God is connected to Jesus in some special way. That Jesus is God's unique child. That He is, in fact, Emmanuel. He is, in fact, God with us. While also still being fully human, fully born of Mary. And Jesus being fully God and fully man is essential to what He came to do. It's only because He was fully God, that He could ever possibly live a sinless life. But it's only because He was fully man that He could go to the cross in our place and represent us on the cross. And as I said, like, it would take the full course of Jesus' life for His full divinity to become clear. But from the, the very beginning, like, we see this sign that Jesus will be a better Messiah than anyone expected. Like clearly, this Messiah was not just any old child from David's family who would one day become a king. He was uniquely God's child. And in fact, like it's possible that Jesus was not even biologically descended from David at all. Instead, so we see in the passage that Jesus was adopted into David's lineage. The first 17 verses of Matthew are the genealogy of David, of Jesus. And they trace his lineage back through David all the way back to Abraham. But the interesting thing about this genealogy is that it traces Jesus' lineage back starting with Joseph. And Joseph is not his biological father. You now there's speculation about whether Mary was also from the line of David, but we don't know that for sure. Right? And that, but, like David, but Jesus become part of David's family through being Joseph's son, through Joseph adopting him. We see this kind of driven home in verse 20. When God addresses Joseph, he doesn't just call him Joseph. Right? He says, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. He's he's reminding. Why did he say, like, son of David? If not to kind of tie Jesus in with that line of David. So Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is expected to restore David's throne, it's only in God and only in David's family because Joseph adopts him into it. When Joseph is the one who gives Jesus his name, which we read at the end of the passage. Right? it's this sign that he has become He has taken on Jesus as his child, He is adopted into Joseph's family and therefore into david 's family. This, this continues a pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament of God using unexpected offspring to keep his promises. Right? just read. Jesus in genealogy, right? There's Abraham who had Isaac when he was super old, and Isaac through, like, just, they're all unexpected. And yet, Jesus is the most likely yet. And this this unlikely scenario of Jesus being adopted into David's family, an indication that God is doing something special through Jesus, something far greater than anyone could have expected. And like all those other unlikely offspring, those unlikely heirs, Jesus ultimately served to remind us of God's faithfulness. Matthew tells us in verse 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what God had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And those words were written by the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus was born. And in those 700 years, it would have been really easy to conclude that God had forgotten His promise. That God had abandoned His people. Many people in Israel at that time probably did reach that conclusion. But God doesn't forget His promises. He keeps them in his own timing, but he still keeps them. The birth of Jesus is a sign that Jesus does not forget or abandon his people. So if you're, you're here, maybe you find yourself feeling like God has forgotten you, God has abandoned you. I just encourage you, as you remember and reflect on all that Christmas is, to let the long-promised birth of Jesus remind you that God is not a God who forgets his promises. That God has not forgotten you. That God has not abandoned you. That he will keep his promises to you. All right, through all this, we see that Jesus is a, a better Messiah than anyone expected because he is conceived through the Holy Spirit, he's adopted into David's family, he's a reminder of God's faithfulness. But all those things are just a prelude to the ultimate reason that Jesus is a better Messiah than anyone expected. The Jews were expecting a Messiah that would save them from foreign rule. But this Jesus is far greater than that. Because he wouldn't just save his people from earthly enemies. He would save his people from their sins. In verse 21 we read, You are to give him the name Jesus. Because He will save His people from their sins. We're just saying the lines, like what a beautiful name it is. And the reason that name is beautiful is because it means God saves. That God is going to save His people from their sins. That's why that name is beautiful. It's the greatest enemy of God's people. Right? The thing they need saving from. Was not Rome, was not Assyria, was not Babylon, was not any other earthly enemy. The greatest enemy of God's people was their sin. And the same thing is true of us. The greatest threat, the greatest enemy any of us can face is not anything in this life, it is our sin which separates us from God. And if Jesus, like would, if he would have been the Messiah that the people expected, like he would have defeated the Romans, right? but that victory would have only mattered in this life, and our eternal problem, our eternal problem of sin, would still not be dealt with. We would still be in our sins. We would still deserve eternal punishment for our sins. And the only way out of that problem was if God became a man, He fulfilled His ancient prophecies, and He saved His people from their sin by sending a greater Messiah than anyone expected. That's what God did in Jesus. That's far greater, greater, greater than anyone expected, or anything we can even imagine. It's like my hope for us this Christmas. That we never stop being amazed by what an incredible thing God did for us in Jesus. For those of us who have sat in a service like this for however many Christmas Eve's, it's so easy for that story to feel a little repetitive, feel a little old. But We not take it for granted. Would we continually marvel at that the God of the universe, the God who spoke in the universe came into be, that that God would send His Son to be the Savior of a world that rejected Him. Would that never cease to amaze us? Would it never get old. And this, this Jesus, he would grow up, and as we heard earlier, he would grow up and say, look, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To remember that fact. To remember that we have the light of life. In just a minute, we're going to sing a few more songs. We're going to sing those songs by Candlelight. In a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And while I'm praying, they're going to start passing out candles to each of you. And then we're going to sing. We're just going to remember all that God did for us in Jesus by sending His Son, His light into the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We can sometimes take it for granted. We can sometimes let the story of Jesus become stale in our heart and our minds. Sometimes our familiarity with the story can Hinder us. I pray for each one of us here tonight. The significance of Christmas. The significance of your Son coming to earth. Of Jesus giving up the glories of heaven to become a man. Become a, a helpless baby born in a manger God, would we be amazed that you would do that for us? God, would we take time now as we sing and tonight and tomorrow to marvel at what an incredible God you are. Would we be amazed at what you accomplished through Jesus? Would it move us to repent of any sins we're holding on tightly to? Would it move us to grow closer to Jesus, to become more and more like Christ? Would it cause us above all else to bring you glory through how we live our lives? God, God, thank you that you sent your son. Thank you. Pray for Jesus' name,
0: amen. We invite you to stand as we start a bit of a candlelight service. So stand and light your candles. We're just going to spend some time with some old-fashioned Christmas carols right now. And this was always my favorite part of Christmas Eve service, this quiet part of the night with candles lit, a lot of tradition, and really just focusing on what tonight is and what the birth of Christ means. I invite you to sing with us.
1: Remembering like that, that Jesus who was born was indeed as we just sang, Lord, at his birth. That this baby came and he was Lord and he was the long promised Messiah. We go remembering him. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.